This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again when you can have a brilliant, hyper-fast, super simple Wi-Fi system with Eero. And now the second-generation Eero is tri-band and twice as fast as its predecessor. For free overnight shipping, visit Eero.com. That's E-E-R-O.com, and at checkout select overnight shipping, and then enter the promo code Fool. It's Friday, December 29th. Welcome to Market Fuller. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Hidden Gems, Abby Mallon. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So all week long, we're we're sort of wrapping up 2017, and of course, this is the last trading day of 2017. Uh, looking ahead to 2018, in terms of whether it's an industry or a company, what what are you looking at? What are you watching? Yeah, I think one company I'm pretty excited to watch is Globus Medical. The ticker is GMED, GMED. Um, I've been watching this since about March. And when I first started looking at it, they were doing a few things to um, upgrade their sales staff and their um, sales team. Just generally, they were having a little bit of recruitment issues, retention issues. Medical device company? Medical device company, yeah. So they are a founder led, engineering driven medical device company. That when we first started following them, they were specializing in spinal fusion products. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just, you know, spinal fusion. I just, yeah, anyway, go ahead. But that is actually part of why it's kind of an interesting one to watch in the coming year. So the company spends about 7% of sales on RD, and this was mainly concentrated in two areas. The first was their Excelsius robotic offering, and the second was innovating in their trauma, trauma care sector. Um, so neither of those actually had revenue lines for this past year, but both of them are growing. And so I think that this is going to be one to watch. How big, market cap-wise, roughly how big is this company? It is currently a $3.8 billion company. So, $3.8 billion. When I hear medical device, the two companies that pop to mind for me are Johnson & Johnson, which is enormous and has a medical device division, and I think about Medtronic. And either one of those companies... I thought you were going to go with Zimmer Biomet or Stryker or one of those. Oh, okay. But either way, but I don't I don't look at this industry as closely as you do, so mm-hmm. you know more of the names involved here. But in the case of Johnson and Johnson and Medtronic, and and possibly slash probably for the two that you mentioned, so much larger than Globus Medical, is part of your thesis with Globus Medical, and maybe it's not among the top three or four reasons to be interested in this stock, but is somewhere on the list the possibility that someone else buys them. Um, I wouldn't depend or expect that. I think that this is um, something sort of unique about this particular company is that they're really engineering focused, and they, um, when you look at the spinal, the spinal space, there's sort of two distinct paths. There's disruptive technologies, and then there's innovative technologies, and they are much more in the disruptive side of things, and they are sort of looking at places where other people aren't necessarily looking. So I wouldn't necessarily see them as a a nice tuck-in acquisition. Is one of the ways because healthcare is so big, and I'm wondering if one of the ways investors can narrow their field of vision with respect to healthcare, whether it's medical device companies or pharmaceutical companies, is to look for the companies that are specializing, to just look for, oh, this is yeah, it's a medical device company, but they're the only one who's really focused on X, or they're the dominant player in 
spinal fusion? Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I work on our small cap team here. I work on Hidden Gems. And I think when we look in this space for um, medical exposure, that's something that's sort of um, probably the best way you're going to get outsized returns in that particularly size pool. So, um, you mentioned the um, the R&D spending. Mm-hmm. They're spending about currently spending about seven percent of their sales on research and development. Mm-hmm. Is that as an investor? Help me out here. Should I be looking for that to be higher? Should I feel good about that? And I'm not a shareholder, but in general, I mean, this is one of those industries where R&D is really crucial. So. Yeah. Um, and it's it's kind of a fine line that companies have to walk, where they need to invest in R and D, but if all of a sudden, I mean, we've seen this with plenty of other companies, whether it's medical device, uh, something else in healthcare, or just tech, sort of general hardware tech, where we've seen companies come out with their quarterly earnings, R and D spending has spiked, and the stock takes a hit. Yeah, I mean, generally for a company of their size in this field. At least by our thesis, we thought that was pretty high. So um, I guess when you were when we had to think about this, and you know, in the original thesis, it was how likely are those, um, how likely is that going to come to fruition, or how positively will those potential new markets affect their total addressable markets and things like that. So because those are two new sort of spaces for them, both trauma and the robotics, it's a little bit. Um, a little bit unsure, but that's sort of what makes it an interesting story to follow. All right, before we get to more stocks on your watch list, I want to say thanks to Eero for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Eero, E E R O, never think about home Wi Fi again. And by the way, that's, that's, I think, most people's approach to home Wi Fi. I don't want to think about it. I just want it to work. I just want it to be fast. And that's where Eero comes in. They just introduced the second generation Eero and the Eero Beacon. These allow you to build a a Wi-Fi system at home that is more perfectly tailored to your home than ever before, because not all homes are the same. More speed and range in the same high-quality, elegant design that people have come to expect. And with the addition of a new thread radio, Eero can connect to low-power devices such as locks, doorbells, other sensors, and more, depending on how smart your home actually is. Uh, and you can expand your coverage in any room. It's easy with the Eero Beacon. Simply plug it into a wall, and you're covered. Uh, our, I said this the other day, our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, he's got the, the Eero system and his home, and he loves it, because in part, beyond the fact that it looks good and it's easy to set up, he's got fast Wi-Fi at home. For free overnight shipping, visit Eero.com, that's E-E-R-O.com, and at checkout, select Overnight Shipping and then enter the promo code FOOL to make it free. What's a stock that, maybe you don't own it, maybe it's not an active recommendation in the Hidden Gem service, but it's it's something that you've got on your personal watch list? Yeah, I've recently started looking at Stitch Fix. So they, went, um, they IPO'd back in November, but I think it's sort of um, right at the almost perfect juxtaposition of um, right after Blue Apron is doing so terribly, which is a similar subscription business, and also this retail space, which is getting no love this year. So, I think investors haven't really given it enough um, attention, maybe as it deserves. Tim Hansen and I talked about uh, Stitch Fix. It's been a long day. Stitch Fix uh, last week because they they came out with their first earnings report. 
um, and you know, this is a, to me this is an impressive young company um, in no small part for how the business was managed leading up to the initial public offering. But they come out with their first report, and their margins are getting hit. And so I think that's you know that's why that and the fact that the stock had a pretty nice run in its very short tenure as a public company. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think Katrina Lake, who's their current founder and CEO, I think she's really impressive. They only raised about $42.5 million before going public, which, I mean, for being cash flow positive since 2014, you have to give her credit there. I think she's done a really excellent job. Um, but I, I don't disagree necessarily with the current concerns about. Um, so, previously, Stitch Fix has focused a lot on growing subscriber count through word of mouth, and they haven't spent much, if anything at all, on marketing. And so, that they've talked about has to tick up in coming years as um, they can't rely as much on word of mouth. But, and so it's sort of a challenge to continue to grow subscribers, but also keep your customer acquisition cost in check. So, I think that's definitely a relevant and um, worthwhile, worth watching. Concern, but I think that this is actually a business that has, you know, if they can actually get the economics right on this, and um, I think it could be really interesting. But again, I think I agree with most investors. Where their S one was also, I don't know if you've looked at it at all. Let's assume for the sake of this conversation that no, I didn't spend one second looking at their S one. Okay, so assuming that you didn't look at it, their um, high lack of clarity, like those metrics were so. Vague. It was really hard to get a picture. So for if was you're it not... was it like when Groupon was getting ready to go public and they they invented metrics that no one had ever heard of and threw them in their S one. Well, so um, if Stitch Fix gives a box of five items and um, it's either auto scheduled or on demand delivery, clients keep what they like and send the rest back. Shipping's prepaid both ways, and if you keep everything, you get a 25% discount, I think, for keeping all five items. If you keep nothing, you pay a $20 styling fee. I think um, they don't exactly or explicitly break out how many items each client keeps on average, but they track how that number has trended over time, which is a, a little strange to me. Um, just things like that, where it's, it's hard to estimate future cash flows when you really don't know what's quite happening. And let's not, let's not put this completely on the shoulders of the people at Stitch Fix, because we've seen over time that companies will share the metrics that they want to share, Definitely. and when it is no longer to their advantage to share those metrics, they will stop sharing them. Yeah. So that's just that's just kind of kind of how that goes. Although, I mean, it's interesting. You mentioned Blue Apron at the start. I do think that, despite what you just said about the lack of clarity in the S one, I do think that Stitch Fix has benefited, and rightfully so, in my opinion, from the environment. That it is up against, and by that I mean, by comparison to other recent IPOs, Stitch Fix again more um, they grew their business in a more impressive way than Blue Apron did. Definitely, and uh, they. So anyway, that yeah, I, I think all things being equal, uh, when you're looking at sort of the rookie class of 2017 of of IPOs, they come out in the in in the if. I mean, easily in the top half and, and probably in the top 20% or so. Yeah. I guess my reason for keeping it on my radar, but not necessarily 
jumping in right away. Part of their big competitive advantage is around their data and these data points. So they say on average they collect about 85 data points per client. And then um, for each item of clothing, they actually measure aside from your normal things so like brand, color, size, pattern, silhouette, material, things like that, they actually do like very specific measurements. So they talk about from the collar to the first button is so many inches or you know the arm opening is X number of inches or whatever. So um, and then they sort of track how if I was a client, they track my spending habits as well as people who I can be similarly grouped as. So if someone like me kept an item, they assume that that increases my probability of keeping that item. So and I think that there could be something there if that data is actually working, but without the trend of, or without this explicit metrics behind it, it's a little bit hard to assume that that works. Have you used the service before? I haven't. No. So one of the things Tim Hansen mentioned was, and this is something you just touched on, sort of the the data that they collect and the algorithm that presumably gets smarter over time. Right. And on the flip side, you've got the personal stylus, the, right. the actual human being that you're matched up with at the start. And those are people who are paid on an hourly basis. And at some point, if Stitch Fix is really going to turn on the profit machine, don't they have to make a switch? Don't they have to? Not necessarily, I'm not saying like get rid of the human beings, but at some point, wouldn't it make sense for them to say, we're going to move these people to a salaried position, so and we're not going to give them the incentive of of take as long as they possibly can to fill orders. We want to get more customers in, and we want our human being stylists to work as efficiently as possible, so that we can get more items sold, so that the algorithms get even smarter. It, it really seems like that's one of, if not the biggest question that they need to answer in 2018. I actually, that would make me less interested, I think, if they really? moved that direction. Yeah, I think when you start depending solely on algorithms, I mean, at that point, it's becoming an e commerce game. And I think, you know, how are they going to compete with Amazon? I mean, like, I just don't see that as a place that they could potentially win. I mean, I think that they do probably have more data, but I think that human factor. So when you order a box, you get a handwritten note from your stylist, you can request certain things. So you can request, like, anything as broad from, like, Close to work to as specific as like sweaters with tassels, and so I think you need that sort of human interaction to keep it feeling um, personalized, diversified, and really a special experience. So I think that would actually be a detractor for me as an investor. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. Shows mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.